Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us for episode two of Real Black Fridays. Uh, we wanna say a special thank you uh, for joining us two weeks ago in the launch of, of these episodes, these webisodes, whatever we want to call them. Thank you for your willingness to engage in these conversations. Uh, we also wanna say uh, happy Hamilton Day. For those of you that know what we're talking about, if you are a musical theater nerd like us, you know that today is the release of Hamilton. And so we as a family who love uh, productions and musical theater are really excited to, to check out this beloved uh, musical. And so uh, we want to today be able to take things back just a little bit um, to, to make things a little bit more personal. Today we're gonna share a little bit about our own personal experiences uh, in regards to to racism, um, microaggressions, uh, all the things, because we feel like um, there are so many voices that are competing for our time. There are so many voices that are wanting to sway our opinion. Uh, but we truly believe that the only way that these conversations can happen well, and that can uh, that can happen personally, is through personal experiences. Last time we asked you guys to be intentional about listening, uh, and really that's it. Not listening to, to fix or listening to be a problem solver, but just to stop and listen to the experiences of people of color. So we felt like today would be um, a great opportunity for us to share a little bit of some of the things that we have experienced as individuals uh, and as a couple. So I you want me to start first? Yeah, and I also think, you know, with the questions that you guys submitted over the last two weeks, um, some of them, um, I think this will help um, you guys understand and have maybe some answers um, to some of the questions regarding um, why are people of color fearful um, when engaging law enforcement, when being engaged with law enforcement. Um, I think it will help people understand um, more of the question of, well, if, or, or the response of, if everybody is um, compliant, these situations wouldn't happen. Um, we want you guys to understand more fully um, what people of color experience on a, a daily basis. And so um, we obviously cannot speak for um, our community as a whole, um, but we wanted to take the time to share our personal stories. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, so for us, and, and people may not recognize these things that we do. So for example, um, we try not to drive out at night, late at night, especially. Um, I try not to uh, drive alone. Um, if I have to go somewhere, like if I have to go back to my office at the church, I will either have Ashley come with me or even bring one of my kids with me. And here's why. Um, several instances, not just here in Nampa, but in uh, several of the places that we have lived in, um, I have been followed by police uh, for what I can only assume was because of the color of my skin. Uh, most recently that has happened here uh, in Nampa. Uh, specifically, there was a, I was leaving a movie theater with uh, one of my friends. We drove separately. Um, and I remember I was getting ready to turn left to head back to my house. I was, I was at the stoplight and a police officer pulled up next to me like he was going to turn right. And so I turned left when the light turned green and I just happened to look in my rearview mirror and notice that the police officer made a turn to come back and follow me. That officer followed me all the way to 
the street that we lived on at the time. And so these experiences of race, racial profiling um, happen a lot more often than what people, what more people realize. And so that kind of thing builds in a little bit of a fear for police officers. And especially as we are hearing more and more stories of, of innocent people dying at the hands of, of police officers, there is that, that fear that that could happen to me. So when you think about um, the recent events around the four deaths, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, George Floyd, Elijah McClain, and uh, Breonna Taylor, um, you look at those and you see how really, what was it, one person out of those four were, were being stopped for a crime. The other ones were people just okay. being yeah. themselves, right? Uh, going for a run walking home from work, sleeping in your own home. Uh, and so you see those, and what a lot of our white friends don't understand is that the black community has been surrounded by that for, for decades, for, for generations. And so there's almost this built-in fear, and we, we try to do the best that we can. And honestly... To not live into that fear. Right, we right. We try to do the best we can to not live into that fear. And, and you know we don't know how any of us would respond in that moment, right? We don't know, you know, sure, my, I can stand here today and say, yes, well, I know that if I were to be pulled over by a police officer, I would be respectful. I, I would comply with what they are saying. But then if you are then being accused of something that you didn't do, your natural response is to defend yourself, right? And so now hear me, we're not saying that you need to defend yourself or be disrespectful to officers but but at the same time you you do want to be protective of yourself and so all that to say is that can be where that built-in fear of, of police officers can come from um i can think of a time when me and our oldest son were in a grocery store and uh we were i don't remember what we were getting uh, we went to check out, and there was an older white woman in front of us, and she asked our son, you know, how old he was, and he answered, and she said, well, what school do you go to? And he named the name of the school, and she looked at him kind of perplexed and said, oh, well, that's surprising. I figured you went to school, blah, blah, blah. And what that school was that she was mentioning was it was the school that was on the other side of the town, right, the other side of the tracks. She instinctively assumed that because we were people of color, that we had no business being on the north side of town, right? Um, you know, she wanted to say, you know, talk about how articulate he was and, you know, how she was surprised at how bright he was. And so those kind of microaggressions are things that, especially for us, being people of color in predominantly white communities, we are faced with that quite a bit on the regular. And so... Um, well, let's think back here. So we're talking about Hamilton a little bit earlier in the production. Uh, in in the world that I have lived in, in musical theaters and productions, uh, there were so many times I would go into an audition and directors were perplexed as to what to do with me. And I remember specifically one audition where I went in. I had a really good singing audition. I had a really good dancing audition. My acting part of the audition was probably so-so. Uh, I did get called back to come do a second audition. 
And at the end of that second audition, the director's like, I need to be honest with you. I am perplexed by you. I don't know what to do with you. And the music director that was in the room was like, yeah, you know, why don't you, you should have been here when we were doing Ragtime, and you should come back and audition for us when we do uh, Big River. Uh, and you should probably come back if we ever get the rights to The Color Purple. You know, that, that immediate um, stereotype or being boxed and confined into certain roles because we are people of color. And so I am thankful specifically for Hamilton for a lot of reasons, but you are finally able to see a production that can be put together, um, yes, with an incredible story and with incredible music and incredible lyrics, but you can see what happens when you remove the barrier of skin and, you know, build a cast based off of talent mm -hmm. and based off of capability. And so I'm thankful for Lin Man, Lin Man Miranda uh, for all that he has done to kind of change that narrative in the Broadway community. Yeah. I also think, um, you know, just our daily lives. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I go back to a time in college when um, in small rural, well not rural, but um, a suburb of Oklahoma City, um, we, a few friends of mine, um, went to a local diner to eat. You know, we were college students. And um, most of us at that table um, were people of color. And when the waitress finally got to us, we were seated. When they, she finally came over to serve us, um, she was kind of just put off by the fact of our presence. And you just could feel that, right? Um, and so we ordered our food. And when it was uh, brought back, um, there were some orders that were wrong. And, you know, due to food allergies and things like that, um, the girl at my table with me, she asked if she could send her food back so it could be made right. And the waitress um, called us the N-word and said that we were always causing trouble. And we got up and left because, I mean, what, what do you do in that situation? Like somebody has blatantly, you know, demeaned you and who knows what would have happened to the food or what had already happened to the food. Like immediately, um, your guard is up, your defenses are up, and I mean, you know, internally you're heartbroken, right? That somebody would completely just disregard you as a person um, and see the color of your skin. So um, there is that instance. Um, I remember not, <laughs> not too long ago, um, our family of six um, walked into a local restaurant um, here near us and um, when we walked in, <laughs> we were greeted very kindly like that. It was not, um, that wasn't the issue. Um, but you could collectively see um, that we were in a place that had locals and we were not locals, right? right? Um, so it was an odd feeling and we didn't want to say anything um, because our children were all there. Um, but it was that continual feeling of eyes on you the whole time that you were there. And when we got back in the car, I looked, I looked at Ryan and I said, was that just me or was that awkward? Right, and, right. you know, we both agreed, no, that, that was awkward. Like, we felt out of place. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, the stories just kind of continue. And it can be um, as, as specific and blatant as someone you know, saying a racial slur to your face. Um, it can be um, implicit, like, you know, just not even um, spoken, but just felt. Um, mm -hmm. 
I was having a conversation and I think I mentioned in our last episode that I'm a child of adoption and um, I was raised by wonderful white, white parents and as we've been having some more dialogue, I was talking with my mom and um, just sharing some experiences with her and she said, she goes, I remember, she goes, I remember when you were younger and all the kids in your class, um, all the girls in your class were invited to a birthday party um, and you were the only one who wasn't. And she said, I, I didn't think at the time that that was the reason why, but now I look back and wonder. And, you know, who's to say? But it was pretty obvious when there's only one person. Um, I remember in high school, I, again, going to predominantly um, white communities, high schools and things of that nature, um, I remember specifically being told by friends, um, we'd love to have you over, but our grandparents will be there, and they're not comfortable with people of color, right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember not being able to date somebody because their family was not okay with that. So um, it's been a journey, and these kinds of journeys that we walk through on a daily basis, um, <laughs> they compile on us, right? So why are we telling you this um it's not for a pity party like we do not want you know the outpouring of we're so sorry um that you went through this like that's not what we're looking for right um i really feel like what we want to achieve by this is for more eyes to be open mm -hmm. um, for you to be able to recognize when you see it happening to somebody else in your surroundings right um, again, like she's saying, it's not a pity party for us, but at the same time, we want you to recognize that, yes, these things have happened to people that you know, um, and that you have the capacity to be able to speak into this for someone else. Basically, the goal is being able to speak for the voiceless. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. The other question that we kind of wanted to talk through or talk about um, was where we kind of find our identity. Like, whose are we? Who, who, you know? And as people of faith, um, we ultimately are the children of God. Um, so how does that, how do we reflect that as, you know, people of color? And I found a great quote um, from author Latasha Morrison from her Be the Bridge book that I just wanted to share with you because um, I feel like so, so much um, weight gets put on um, well, I don't see color or, um, you know, love is blind to color. You know, these kind of phrases as, as um, people of faith, we kind of tend to default to. Um, but I want us to kind of be challenged by this quote to see. Um, she says, in the family of God, we must be color brave, color caring, color honoring, and not color blind. We have to recognize the image of God in one another. We have to love despite and even because of our differences. She goes on to say that as Christians of differing ethnicities, we share a common heritage, a common memory. We are reminded who we are and whose we are through our salvation story. Um, so for us, that's the background that we want to carry with us, right? Um, do I say first that I am a, a, a black female, or do I say first that I am a Christian um, who is a black female? 
right, I, I am God's, um, and I want to reflect that. Um, but I cannot reflect that in its fullness by dis diminishing or lessening um, who people see me as, and that is as a black woman, right? Um, so being able to have conversations, learn what color caring is, color honoring is, um, and, and really live into um, the unity in our diversity. Right, yeah. right. And I think it's really important for us to, one, to be respectful of that right and understanding our calling as people, as believers. Right. Um, we, we recognize, or we should recognize, the beauty in diversity, right? And if we can't see that, then I feel like we, we really can't see God that we really can't understand the depth of God's love for us. Right. Um, and so, you know, we've seen how this has quickly somehow become a partisan issue, that this has become a political issue for, for whatever reason. But the, but the challenge for us as believers is to, to set aside political persuasion, to set aside those things and get back to the matter of caring for your neighbor, right? To right. put on the love of Christ and and be his extension of grace and love and light to the world. And that means that you have to take time to hear stories and not be dismissive of it, right? You have right. to um, try, try your best not to immediately put people of color in an immediate box, if, if that makes sense. And so... So ask yourself, as you're going through this journey, as you're engaging in these conversations, how are you loving your neighbor? How are you loving your neighbor that looks different than you? And if you don't have that, if you don't have a neighbor uh, physically in your neighborhood or in your workplace, um, what voices are you then listening to? What books are you reading that are different than you? Um, it, it feels like, and we'll probably keep saying this for a while, it comes back to that issue of stopping and, and listening intently, not listening to fix, but listening to, to make sure that you can truly, truly understand kind of the, the stories that we have walked through in the journey. And again, like we said before, you know, yes, we are only two people and we are, you know, our experiences are not for, of the whole, right? It's not the entire black community. We can't speak into all of that. However, our stories are unique. They are different than a lot of our friend circle. And so we, we are thankful for people who have allowed us the space to be able to, to share, to share openly, um, to have these honest, difficult conversations. And I think, too, um, I, and I could be wrong in this, I feel like part of the struggle as well is that, you know, so much is happening around us. So much change is happening around us. And we can all admit that there are moments in all of our lives where change is difficult and change is hard. But this is not like a change of, you know, we are choosing to print on, you know, a certain kind of paperweight versus this. Like this is change that is that is life and death. Right. We're talking about the care of, of people. And so the hope is, is that we can we can be faithful to that, that we can honor honor that and, and continue to find ways to lean in and be voices for, for voiceless people, to be mm -hmm. voices for people mm -hmm. who feel oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I also don't want us to overlook um, people who do look like us, people of color, um, because we do have a, a vital role in this uh, pursuit of racial reconciliation. Um, 
and it, I, I feel like at times um, we can forget that, and I don't want that to be, um, I don't want all of our, our white allies and our white bridge builders to feel as we're putting all the work onto you. We're, we're doing work too. Um, we're navigating situations, right? Um, we are called to that same table, right, for these discussions. We are called to build the bridge with you. Um, and so please don't think that um, it's just on everybody else, right? For, for people of color, um, we have to come to the table continually and um, be able to have those tough conversations. And I'm not saying that um, we exhaust ourselves by trying to educate everybody around us. Um, that, that is on our white bridge builders and allies to, to do for themselves, right? We can help, we can share our personal stories, but that journey of education has to be on their heart, right? Um, so don't, don't, we have self-care. Everybody needs to kind of take that model of self-care when it feels like it's too much or um, for people of color when it feels like it is traumatic or triggering. Um, we have to know that and, and, and step back. Um, when days are too hard and too fearful, self-care reigns, okay? Like you have to be able to, to be in this for um, the long journey, but um, we also have to be mindful that we have to remain um, open to the journey, right? So it, it is on both sides, we're all coming to the table. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to remember what else people have asked. Yeah, you guys continually bring great questions and we're really thankful for that. And so um, I think today, especially going into a holiday weekend, um, make it a goal to, to um, maybe learn a new perspective um, of history um, over the weekend as we celebrate um, Independence Day, um, as you gather with families, um, have a conversation. Um, listen to a new piece of, of history, whether that be um, American history, whether it is um, a spiritual history mm -hmm. um, within your family. Have some conversations and, and focus in um, this weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's it. All right. Well, thank you for being with us again um, today. And please don't hesitate to, to send questions. Um, we will respond um, as you guys are, are um, commenting um, as you're watching this and, and try to reach out to each and every one of you. And um, We'll see you again in a couple more weeks. I believe it is July 17th. I don't know. I think so. I think July 17th. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. All right.